The reality is we consumers did not curb our spending at all. And there's tons of research on this as well, right? So if I come on day one and say, hey, a steak is going to cost you $25. And then I come on day two and I say, hey, now the steak's going to cost you $30 and there's no delay. You still swipe and I keep on raising the prices and you keep on buying it. I'm going to keep on raising the prices. This is capitalism. This is the world that we live in. And I think that is 100% a contributor to why we're paying so much. So I'm not asking us all to rebel, but I am asking us to say, hey, like every single time we don't curb our spending, we are training companies to continue to raise prices or at a minimum to keep prices where they are. So when we talk about things like conducting a media review, you do owe it to yourself to make that difficult decision to make different spending decisions. So it's on us. It's on them. We're all in this together. We need to train them because I can assure you, you stop buying those things. They're going to offer you a discount to come back. And it's really your job to put them in a position to do that. Welcome to the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Julian. And today we're talking about mid-year reviews and the trends that are affecting your budget. We're going to get into why media reviews are so important. We'll discuss a few hidden and plain sight areas that may be eroding your purchasing power, like junk fees and interest rates, and what you can do about it. And lastly, we're going to talk about what we think is coming next in terms of pricing and purchasing power. Yes, but first... Please, please, please rate and review the Rich and Regular podcast wherever you listen to the show. And as a reminder, we love hearing from y'all. So if you have any questions or topics that you want us to address, things you want us to define or translate for you, feel free to reach out. You can use the contact page found on richandregular.com, or you can just email us at hello at richandregular.com. Yeah, DMs are cool, but I much rather prefer <laughs> a email. Yes. <laughs> Much sure. Yeah. Because if I'm on a thought you'd ever say that. Remember I, the world where you hated email? Like, I know. I now know. we're like, please email. But DMs get flooded and they <laughs> can know. be they can look a little sketchy and yeah, they come and go. I don't want to miss it. So email, yeah. we we monitor that regularly. So okay, let's jump into it a little bit. It is already like the second wow. half of the year. I know. I was trying to think about what I remembered. Every time I do this, like I have no idea what happened to the first half of the year. <laughs> If you, a lot has happened. If you were to ask me personally where I was and what I did, it would take me a while just to remember <laughs> where I had been, aside from what we've done in the last month or so. Yeah. I have no idea. Well, you what know, happened. time is largely a social contract. You've said this before. I know. And then I'm you not going to go down the wormhole. Okay. Let's move on. I can't deal with that. All right. So we are at the halfway point of the year. Uh, and for a lot of people, this represents like a fresh start. And so I like to think of it as like halftime in a basketball game or football or any sports you want. But just like it's a nice opportunity to pause, to reflect, to think about where you've been, what you've tried to accomplish, especially for people who have New Year's resolutions for the first six months of the year. I don't know the exact data point, but I know a lot of people struggle. They fall off like by February or something like that. So I find that that second half of the year is like a good opportunity to kind of just pause for a second and say, all right, what can I do? What can I pick back up? What can I tweak to make sure that I can finish the year. And from a financial standpoint or personal financial standpoint, there's been a lot going on. And I think that's why I've been in a bit of a blur. 
So here's what's happened just like in the first half of the year, just a couple of key things that we think are more relevant to the topic of conversation. Uh, It's been eventful. So we've seen major legislation uh, being turned over by the Supreme Court. So student loan payments, you know, there was that whole thing, the promises from the Biden administration, Supreme Court basically got that out of there. And so millions of people are going to have to restart making payments uh, by fall of this year. It's fall, right? Yeah. It's like September or something like that. So that deadline is coming fast and a lot of people are feeling that. So obviously that's going to impact a lot of people's pockets. We saw some record-breaking inflation last year, and this year we actually started to see that cool off a little bit. So we saw gas in particular or the cost of gas go down, but we've also seen that in a few other areas, like it's kind of remained where it was. Like we've just kind of gotten accustomed to like, I guess this is just how much travel is going to cost. I guess this is how much eggs, bread, and pretzels cost now. (laughs) New cars, like we've seen all those things in terms of like what the new car loans are and all that stuff. And so- All of these things were impacted by inflation or were they? We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, We've also seen like a lot of issues, I think, that I just call like bigger than us, right? Like it's bigger than just our personal finances. These are global issues. We've seen everything from bank runs to tons of footage and warnings about climate change. And I think a lot of people are saying like, man, this is weird. Like, is this a new normal? And I think the answer is very clearly yes. We've seen shortages in healthcare. We've seen interest rates being tweaked constantly by the feds. All of this, I think, is just on top of the typical political theater as we go into a new election, election yeah. season, which like unlocks a bunch of other stuff and just makes me want to leave. It's, it's crazy. There's a lot of stuff going on. But what I think is relevant is that when we find ourselves in these kinds of situations, it's overwhelming. And that overwhelm leads to paralysis or at least the people saying, well, let me just wait. Let me just wait and see Mm -hmm. what's going to happen. And I think, you know, not to pick on those folks, but the people who may have had the ability to start paying off student loans, but decided to just see like, well, let me just wait, because if they're going to wipe it away, then I'm not going to do it. These kinds of issues start to sort of breed kind of a, um, I call it inconvenient optimism, you know, then you come back and you have to pay the price for those kinds of things. And so our hope uh, with this episode is that we can get down to some of the details, get people to sort of wake up a little bit and say, hey, I know there's a lot going on, but there are still some things you can do that can affect your financial world. Uh, And you might be able to see a bit of an impact in as little as the end of the year. So let's take this time to kind of talk about those things and hopefully we can help a few people adjust course. I totally agree. I think it's very tempting to avoid your personal finances when it feels like the world is in a dumpster fire. And as convenient as that may seem, it's a huge mistake. Now is the time that you want to reflect on what's happening and adjust course based on reality. And, you know, as some of the listeners may know, I am a journaler. It is my preferred reflective practice of choice because it combines two of the most effective ways to kind of tap into your inner self, writing and meditation. So anyway, the prompt that I use, sometimes I use prompts when I journal, the prompt that I used for July 1st was, now that the year is halfway over, what have I changed my mind about? And I think when the world is moving this fast, as fast as it is, we tend to lose sight of the bigger picture and our ability to move with it. So I like to plant these little moments where I check in and remind myself that it's okay to change your mind, right? In fact, it's a little alarming if I haven't, especially when everything else is changing. Why am I the thing that's you know, got my head in the sand or my, what is it? Heels in the sand? It's head in the sand. Is it hand? 
head, head? Okay. head in the sand. <laughs> Y'all know what I mean. have nothing to do with it. <laughs> I got my head and my hands in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like as humans with human brains, we get stuck on these ideologies or practices that were created in a different time. And if you don't force, or maybe that's too heavy of a word, if you don't encourage your brain to change your default approach, Mm -hmm. you'll find yourself feeling squeezed, which is a feeling that we hear echoed by a lot of our peers and colleagues, friends and family. So we know that the dollar isn't going as far as people expected. And, you know, people just want to get unstuck. But sometimes reflecting on the why put you in a much better position to answer the how. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the why you feel squeezed, why your dollar isn't going as far as it it, it used to, and what you can do about it for the second half of the year. Yeah. One of the things I've learned is that in times of uncertainty, habits are more important than goals. And conducting an in-depth review of your finances, I think, is one of those habits that really has a compounding effect on your life because it just kind of grounds you and allows you to assess where you've been. And at least for me, it really helps you to see like, wow, I just went through what some people deemed like the biggest crisis or whatever it is. Like, then what did that feel like? Right. Right. And for me, you know, thankfully, because we, I think we have some really strong financial habits and wellness habits and so on. I was like, wow. All right. Well, if we can survive the pandemic or if we can survive like the massive, what was it? The great resignation. Mm-hmm. And if we can survive the social reckoning and all, like all these things that the media tried to convince us was just, Armageddon. It's like, all right, well. The Thanos snap. Yeah, the Thanos snap. I, I part of the blink and I came back and I'm still here. I'm like a roach, right? It's it's habits. I'm going to write a book about roaches and habits. You no know, one's I have a whole theory that. about galactic you can't, you roaches. Can't kill them. Anyway, <laughs> around this time last year, we did an episode on how to conduct a media review, right? So to your point about the how, it was like, how do we do it? Uh, That was episode 67 for those who haven't heard it and need a little bit of a refresher. But we covered all the areas you should be looking at, like your credit score, your investment accounts, and your budget. All that stuff still applies. So this year, we figured we'd switch it up and call attention to a few of the trends and shifts and cultural norms you've seen in the last year that are likely impacting your budget if you're not adjusting for them. Now, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you've probably heard us mention a few of these on previous episodes, but this one kind of packages it all up in a more actionable way. All right. We made you wait long enough. So the first trend is tipping. We also did a full episode on tip culture and guilt tipping in February. It's episode 98, and it has been one of our most talked about episodes because people have been feeling it. And Since we recorded it, I've seen far more articles about tip culture and this sense of guilt tipping that we all feel or that a lot of us feel. I was just about to say, like, I'm not suggesting that we're trendsetters in any way, but I do think that we were early in being willing to say, like, this is getting this is getting a little ridiculous. Right. And since then, I've seen pretty much every major media outlet start talking about these things. So I feel like there's a bit of a ground swelling and people are saying, like. All right, can we just can we just at least just talk about what's right. going on? But it, it's important because again, thousands of dollars on average per person are basically being squandered in mindless or sort of guilt tipping, right? Yeah. And that could go a long way to paying off debts, boosting investments, and so on. So these are the kinds of things that you might think are insignificant, but they can have a really, really big impact on your financial well-being. If you haven't listened to the episode, let me just first call out that we are not anti-tip. We are both yeah. 
from the service and hospitality industry. We understand how they're compensated and know that our tips have a direct line to their livelihood. However, the pressure to tip has extended beyond food service and other types of services, including self-service, right? So not only are self-service kiosks asking for tips, but a lot of the times they're asking at the point of sale before you've even experienced what you ordered or bought. So you're left wondering like, who am I tipping and and for what exactly? The only other area that I can think of where we just kind of blindly pay an extra 20 to 30% is taxes, right? And that's because not paying would be illegal. right? So again, I'm not saying don't tip, but I am saying that tip culture has a direct impact on your budget. Yeah, rein it in. Yes, because of a couple of things. One, it's not like it shows up as a separate line item. It just gets rolled up into the broader expense category, so you lose sight of it. And two, it's typically a percentage. And when the price of the good in question is already inflated, it's a double whammy. So you're probably not spending less money on tipping than you did last year, right? The point here is an expense category that you're not tracking and that's increasing year over year is a red flag. So the takeaway here is the next time you look at your bank or credit card statement, I want you to go through and highlight everywhere you may have tipped during the month. Take note of the type of places and the transactions that may include a tip and develop this awareness of budget categories that may be affected by tipping. And then if you're really feeling froggy, I want you to add it up based on how much you usually tip. So if you spent $400 at restaurants this month and you're a 20% tipper, $80 of that was technically payroll and not food, right? The same goes for your nail salon, the brow lady, your lawn guy, whoever, whoever you may be Barbershop, add it all up and figure out how much of your budget is going towards the real thing versus payroll, right? And once you have an awareness, it's up to you how you adjust. You may decide that you want to reduce your intake. Maybe you eat out less or explore eating at places that don't require a tip, like, you know, your grocery store hot bar or food trucks. Um, some food trucks are actually some food trucks still encourage tip, it. Yeah. But I actually appreciate when they don't. Right. It's, and it's weird. We were just in uh, Greenville and I feel like. We went to that same spot twice, and I'm pretty sure the first time she asked for a tip, the second time she didn't. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was weird. It was just like, yeah, maybe she felt like because you were just here. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's what it was. It was weird. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> like, she didn't even turn it on. She's like, here you go. I was like, okay. If you don't want to reduce your intake, you may also decide to literally pay yourself first and pick up some neat, some new DIY skills, right? Whether that's cooking or beauty maintenance, YouTube University is a great spot for you to learn how to do things yourself so that you can save money. Or you can just take the money from another category. It's totally up to you. The important thing is that you develop that awareness of the real costs associated with convenience and what it means to have somebody else do something for you. I think we're so removed from the cost of that, we just kind of assume that that's just what it costs. And it's like, no, that is how much food costs when you have someone else cook it for you, prepare it for you, deliver it to your home versus like you doing the same thing yourself. Yeah, tipping is a tough one because uh, there's a social stigma associated with not being a good tipper. Yes. And so it you could almost assume it was like, hey, you could save more money if you weren't as good of a tipper. And it's like, that doesn't seem like... No, it doesn't. Like, yeah, but there's social consequences. <laughs> like, people might not make my food but love. <laughs> or like, I don't want my bar... Not my bartender, my barber to, you know, sort of give me a little nick. You know, like, this is 
<laughs> a crooked line. Yeah, because you used to <laughs> you used to tip like this, and now you tip like this. So you know, <laughs> there's a cost to that. You're fading over his type. Anyway, that's not what I'm suggesting. <laughs> I, I'm just recognizing the push. No, I get that, it. that people may say, and even ourselves is like, yeah, well, I'll cut back here, but not over there. Because this is the theme of the episode. The you got to push yourself into the discomfort of acknowledging that a chunk of your money is going towards payroll, right? Like tipping a person for providing a service to you. And so you have to adjust for that however you want to. Yeah. All right. So first one's tipping, reevaluate that. The second thing is what the mainstream media is calling junk fees. And like that, those terms, like that means something very specific to me, but I appreciate that people are using that language with respect to this conversation. Some people just call it nickel and diamond. So a junk (laughs) fee is a fee that you don't see at first because they aren't added to the price until like right when you're checking out, right? It's like when they lure you in with the initial offer. And then when you look at the sort of button right before it's like complete purchase, it's like, now wait a second, that's not that's mm-hmm. not what the flyer said. That's yes. not what the homepage said. <laughs> That's also called the okie doke. The okie doke. Stop falling <laughs> for the okie doke. Okay. So, I, and I'm immediately, because it's still summer vacation and uh, we actually just booked some travel for uh, September. But the first thing that really comes to mind is, and I think one of the more prominent examples of this, our hotel. So they may add like a resort fee or if you're... Booking a flight, airlines might add things like an additional fee to select this seat. I, I, I hate that. Where it's like, here's how much it costs. And it's like, oh, but if you want this seat, it's like, oh, you can book it. You can, yeah. you can click it. But I'm just going to go ahead and add $28, <laughs> right? But this is a huge business, so much so that it's caught a lot of attention of our politicians. And we've been talking about travel recently. So let's start there just so that you get an idea of how lucrative this is or this practice is for companies. So according to the New York Times, hotel junk fees cost travelers about $3 billion a year. That little line item, just that line item, when you add it all up across all hotel brands and independent brands, branded companies, that's $3 billion a year. And airlines collect around 102.8, let's just go ahead and call it $103 billion more from hotels, from fees for things like checked luggage, seat assignments that we were talking about, the desire to board earlier, and all of those things. And that business grew like 56% year over year. So that's $105 billion right there. And we haven't even gotten to companies like Ticketmaster for all the people who went out and bought Beyonce tickets or somebody else's tickets, Airbnb, who does the same thing with their respective industries. So when you think about what this means for you, if you're planning to travel or you go to an event like a concert, like just don't forget to add some flexibility to your budget. Just because you've allotted X amount of dollars or X hundred dollars for that particular flight, when you get into the booking process, just realize that that thing can go from X to X plus 30 plus 50 really, really quickly. So you want to make sure that you're keeping that in mind before you go into that booking process or before you commit to actually doing something. And when it comes to hotels, there are actually sites that track resort fees so that you can see and better plan for what it is that you might expect when it comes time to confirming that travel. There's a site called Resort Fee Tracker. Uh, but obviously, resort fees aren't the only or, or the entirety of junk fees. So I'd recommend doing a couple of dry runs or you take something all the way to the cart, right? Like go ahead and book all the way through this so that you can get a better sense of how much this thing or this particular trip one night, two nights might cost before you commit and certainly before you actually book your flights for your travel. 
It's funny because a couple of weeks ago, President Biden actually recognized a lot of event and travel companies like Airbnb, Live Nation, SeatGeek, all for their commitment to get rid of these junk fees. But that's actually not what's happening at all. They didn't commit to getting rid of them. They only committed to no longer hiding the fees so that you, the customer, can see the entire fee up front. So they're still going to charge you, but they're not going to put it at the very end of the checkout process, which, you know, on one hand will make it easier to comparison shop. But on the other hand, you're still paying. So I love this tip because I've definitely found myself falling for the okie doke recently. And I think it's an important call out, especially for us, you know, experiences over things, people, because the truth is we tend to get a little smug about our ideology as if experiences can't lead to the same level as buyer's remorse as things do. When there are hidden fees involved, they absolutely can. You can absolutely resent paying, you know, for an experience. Sure. Now, unfortunately, junk fees aren't just associated with travel. Banks are also guilty of having them, too. Bank of America just got caught dipping their hands in the junk fee cookie jar. They had a policy that charged customers $35 for overdrafts after declining a transaction, which is legal. But then they double dipped by allowing that fee to keep being charged for the same transaction. That led to tons of revenue for them because they're double dipping on the same transaction, but it's illegal. So they'll be paying for that. The good news is that if you were affected by it, Bank of America has been ordered to compensate you. They'll have to pay a little over $80 million back to customers. The bad news is that they're not alone. And if you bank with a big bank, uh, your bank is probably doing something similar. Oh, gosh. You just reminded me. I think we should do a podcast on... um class action lawsuits. Oh, yeah. That'd we should be definitely fun. do that one. If you guys agree, send us a note at hello at Okay. So moving on, according to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is the CFPB, the most common junk fees that banks, credit card companies, and other lenders use are monthly service fees, overdraft fees, ATM fees, and late fees. So overdraft and late fees are usually like $30 and $40 a piece, which can add up to be hundreds of dollars a year. So obviously, these can be avoided, but occasionally life happens, income goes away, and you kind of get off track. Not to mention, these companies have gone unchecked for a long time, and they have no issue doing shady things like processing your rent payment before your direct deposit hits, even though one was clearly there before yes, I hate that. the other. So again, look at your statements, pay attention to the details, take notice, and decide that for the second half of the year, you're going to play offense instead of defense. And if your bank currently charges a monthly service fee, open your mind to online banks, right? Maybe it's time to consider switching because they don't typically charge for that. So if you've been hit with an overdraft fee, certainly several overdraft fees, go ahead and enroll in overdraft protection if you're eligible. That way, the next time your money will automatically roll over from a linked account. And if you've been hit with a late fee, don't be afraid to ask the bank to waive it as a courtesy. Like they tend to be a little flexible if you've taken the time to pick up the phone and call. And if it's something that keeps happening over and over again because the timing or whatever the issue is, your bank or your credit card company may allow you to change your statement due date, which can give you some flexibility in terms of your budgeting. All right. So we've talked about guilt tipping. We've talked about junk fees. Next up is interest rates. I like to think of interest rates as the price of money over time. So they really affect any decision that you're making now that you won't be able to pay off until later. So a little bit of background on interest rates and why we included them. As you all know, we're dealing with inflation. And one of the means to reduce inflation and cool off consumer demand is that the Fed has been increasing interest rates 
in order to make borrowing money more expensive. And that's basically what you're doing every time you swipe your credit card or opt into a buy now, pay later or purchase a house. You are borrowing money and the interest rate is how you know how much it's going to cost you over time. Now, typically, higher interest rates affect consumer confidence and reduce spending. We hadn't really seen that in the first half of the year, which led to more increased interest rates. That's great for people who save at high volumes. Their high yield savings accounts are doing numbers, but it's not so great for people who are trying to climb out of consumer debt or who have variable rate loans like a home equity loan. So far, the Fed has raised interest rates three different times in 2023 alone, once in February, then again in March and again in May. They paused in June for a little summer break, and thankfully, inflation came in below forecast, so it's starting to cool off, but they're still expected to introduce one or two more smaller rate hikes before the end of the year. So again, what does this mean for you? One, if you pay off your balance on credit cards or loans every month, you don't owe any interest at all. So try to do that as often as possible. But if you have credit card balances, you really need to start managing them more strategically in the second half of the year because they're going to take up a bigger chunk of your budget if you don't, right? And sometimes being more strategic means changing the strategy. So keep in mind that credit card interest compounds daily. So if you're using a method like the avalanche method where you pay off the cards with the highest interest rates first, you may need to adjust your timeline to account for the higher payments because it's going to take longer to pay it off. Now, if you're using the snowball method where you pay off the cards with the smaller balance first, then those cards with the big balance that you're not paying off and potentially have higher interest rates are still compounding daily, even if you're not using them. So consider switching to the avalanche method or exploring maybe a balance transfer. We have a whole episode on that as well and how to evaluate whether it makes sense, which is episode 93. So just be open to revisiting your payoff strategy, given that interest rates have increased three times since the beginning of the year versus now. Love it. All right. Now, I know we live in a paperless society, but quick reminder to look at your statements. So just because they don't come in the mail doesn't mean you don't have to look at them anymore. When you get that email, take the time, open the document, log into your account so you can see what your interest rates will be. And you can basically see that pretty clearly printed because they have to share that information. And it's also very clear what your minimum payment or your minimum payment warning is because it'll all be listed on your statement. And it shows you the math behind only making minimum payments. It's right there on your credit card statement. So you can see exactly how much it's costing you over time to borrow money. Another cheat code for those that want to know how much they pay in interest every year is to download a budget app, something like Mint, that basically allows you to sync your credit card information with your accounts, and it will show you the interest trends and comparisons year over year the same way it does other categories. Last but not least, and this is closely related to interest rates and using other people's money, OPM, I want to touch on a trend around corporate greed. I'm going to get on my soapbox really, really quickly here because I think that inflation was such a big point of topic over the last year. And there's been all this talk around how this issue came to be and what the culprit or the leading causes of inflation were. And I'm immediately having visions of uh, ships (laughs) on the sea being stranded and high gas prices and and all of these things leading to supply chain issues. This is what they told us. And and I hate to sound like an old senator from Vermont, but like (laughs) there is also like an... uh, like I would argue that there's a little bit of greed like in here as oh, well. Oh yeah, right? there's a new word for and, it. And I, 
what's, what's greedflation? It? There's always a new word for something. <laughs> I'm not that, that's that's way too much for me. Greedflation. But I I do think that there's something to that, right? And it's because like two of these things are happening at the same time. So you've got this huge rise in inflation and a lot of people feeling squeezed. But at the very same time, just so happens that we're seeing record profits by companies, right? And so it's like, all right, well, was it that the cost of these goods were too high? Because if that were the case, like, were they just being passed off? And if that's the case, like, why don't we see like a a one-for-one sort of comparable rise? Instead, we're seeing like double-digit increases in terms of profit for these companies. One of the CFOs, and I'm not to call out this person or this company, but I, I was doing some research on this, and AutoZone, which is a company that sells parts and batteries and all that stuff for cars, they were interviewing the CFO, and I don't want to call this a hot mic moment, but it was one of those moments where they're pretty much just kind of like being honest about what's happening. And they were like, well, the earnings jumped 13% for AutoZones. What would you say are the contributors? And the CFO, I believe his name is Jameer Jackson, he called inflation, uh, and this is a quote, a little bit of our friend in terms of what we see in terms of retail pricing, right? Right. So when you're in this environment where you know that people are just under general belief that things are going to be a little bit more expensive, a lot of these companies are admitting like, all right, well, people are expecting it to be a little bit more expensive. Why not make it a little bit more expensive? You know, and what happened was there was no impact on spending. Right. And so I'm not necessarily faulting the companies here. I'm also not really faulting us, but I am kind of faulting everyone involved because the reality is we consumers did not curb our spending at all. And there's tons of research on this as well, right? So if I come on day one and say, hey, a steak is going to cost you $25. And then I come on day two and I say, hey, now the steak's going to cost you $30 and there's no delay. You still swipe and I keep on raising the prices and you keep on buying it. I'm going to keep on raising the prices. This is capitalism. This is the world that we live in. And I think that is 100% a contributor to why we're paying so much. So I'm not asking us all to rebel, but I am asking us to say, hey, like every single time we don't curb our spending, we are training companies to continue to raise prices or at a minimum to keep prices where they are. So when we talk about things like conducting a media review, you do owe it to yourself to make that difficult decision to make different spending decisions. So it's on us. It's on them. We're all in this together. We need to train them because I can assure you, you stop buying those things, they're going to offer you a discount to come back. Absolutely. And it's really your job to put them in a position to do that. Yes. I think what we're seeing now is that companies got a taste of pricing power. Typically, they don't have the power to just keep raising the price, but they got a taste of what that feels like. Oh, for sure. And so now we're all just trying to figure out what the new normal will be with everything from housing to groceries. And what we're seeing now is that more companies are willing to take sales volume hits in exchange for higher prices. If you look at a company like PepsiCo, who owns far more than just carbonated beverages, by the way, they also own brands like Gatorade, SodaStream. And then after they merged with Frito-Lay, they added some of your favorite snacks. So Lay's, Doritos, Ruffles, all owned by PepsiCo. They just reported their quarterly earnings and the net revenue looks good. But if you look a little closer, you can see that sales volume is down something like 3% while prices are up something like 17%. So they're willing, again, to take that hit on sales in exchange for higher prices. And you, the consumer, again, because people typically don't look at their grocery budget on a line-by-line basis, have just been absorbing this all year, all year. So the question is, 
as inflation comes down, which it finally is, thankfully. In some places. In some places, food is still, But as inflation comes down, will companies continue to push for higher prices? Or will they start to implement more dynamic and variable pricing, which is what the airlines and hotels have been doing for years? They base the price of the good on how much demand there is for it at any given time. So if you want to travel during peak season, great. You and everybody else are going to pay 60% more because y'all all all want to travel during the same season. I know it sounds like some 2050 futuristic mumbo jumbo stuff right now. But if you think about it, companies have access to loads of customer data and they can already do this. Uber obviously does this. You're not paying the same rate as the person next to you who leaves an hour later. We've seen Tesla do it. They cut their prices at the beginning of the year and then raised them again. And they were able to do that and be dynamic because they don't work with this network of middlemen dealerships. They have direct access to their customers from the Ruta to the Tuta. Some movie theaters have even been doing this. I think about verticals that are also primed to be able to do this next. Obviously, you've got several in the digital space, but you've got tons of brick and mortar businesses that know their customer the same way that Tesla does. Things like grocery stores. And to some extent, they already do this, right? Go look at the difference between the price of a turkey today versus what you're going to pay in November. And you'll see a version of dynamic pricing. I think we just have to get used to where that may be you know, the the norm for eggs or, you know, fruit snacks <laughs> during the summer. Yeah. We just have to open ourselves up to what AI is going to do for pricing. Yeah, there's an element of this that I think is actually a little sad because it really shouldn't be this difficult just to manage your budget, right? It's like just to understand what's happening to your in your day-to-day life. We're basically suggesting you've got to understand marketing. You've got to understand supply chain. Revenue management. You've got to understand revenue management. Quarterly and dynamic earnings. pricing. You've got to understand macroeconomics. Right. It really shouldn't be this complicated, but this is unfortunately the world that we live in. I'm not saying you have to like all go back to school to do any of this stuff, but a lot of it does boil down to, okay, in a world where all of these forces that are bigger than me, bigger than us, are impacting my day-to-day life, what are the levers, what are the buttons, what are the things that I can do, the buttons that I can push, the levers that I can pull that can make sure that I am not making decisions that will negatively impact my future financial well-being. So that's really what we wanted to do. And I think these are some of the things that should be a part of not just your media review, but at a minimum, like your monthly or even quarterly, but just just pay attention to these things, right? If you don't measure, I hate to use that old, you know, business thing, but like you can't manage what you don't measure. And it's true in this sense where it's like, if you're not measuring, if you're not paying attention to what those price increases are, you won't even recognize that it's a problem, right? So you won't be able to manage those things before you know it. It'll just be out of control and you'll be stuck sort of dealing with it. So I think in part, that's what we're asking people to do here. Yeah. I think the more items or categories that you have in your budget that have static prices, the easier it is to predict where you land. But as we shift further away from predictable prices, there are a few things that you can do One is to keep a cash cushion, a little extra slush fund to ensure that there's room for fluctuation, especially for the things that you need, not necessarily the things that you want, but for like groceries and and utilities, energy, those types of things, you need just a little little something extra. 
The other thing that you can do if you're an online shopper, you can start to use a price tracker. So if you're an Amazon fan, there's Camel, Camel, Camel. But if not, there's also Honey App, Keepa, and several others. But all of these technologies basically work the same. They help you track the prices of items online, and then they can send you a notification when the item reaches the price that you actually want to pay versus you feeling pressured to pay whatever it is the day that you look. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would also add to that is now is just as good a time as any to double down on coupons, right? So whether it's however you think of it, and I think we did a podcast on this too. I don't remember the exact number, but like if you have hotel points, credit card points, now just maybe the time to say, you know what? Yes, Instead of me them. slowly waiting for the big trip, because the reality is that's not a game that many of us can win. We've said this before, right? Like you've got a hundred thousand, you think you've got two nights, you check again the next time. It's like, oh, it's now down to one and a half nights. And you find yourself it's like, oh my gosh, I've been waiting to take this vacation. Now I can't do it. Just cash in, pull the plug or cash out rather. Cash out on your points, no pun intended. Cash out on your credit card points all that stuff. Give yourself the break, right? Like say, you know what? It is what it is. I'm not going to be able to go all the way around the world, but I can go to this new place and we're going to have a great time. Now's the time to do it. Look at a few balance transfer options that may be offering you a break or a grace period for your interest rates, right? Now may be the time to pull the trigger on that. We did a podcast episode on that as well. Reevaluate your shopping habits. We've spoken a good deal about that. I would say go so far as, and I did this just the other day, thanks to our son, but like junk mail, go to take a time and say, you know what? I'm going to actually look through the junk mail because you'd be surprised that there are actually companies that you would have never thought would be vying for your attention in Val Pack. That all of a sudden it was like, oh, wow, because we were planning a trip to Florida. And I found a little thing in there. I was like, oh, wow, Bo mentioned that he wanted to go to Legoland. And here it is. I've got a free ticket. It's going to save me $140 if we decide to go. Yes. ARP, cutting the cable, you name it. All those things. Like now is the time to say, you know what? Like I'm tired of this wasting <laughs> money. I've heard about Tubi. I've heard about YouTube TV. Now is the time that I think I'm actually going to reevaluate all of my spending. And I'm going to make the hard cut and give yourself that raise, right? Yes. I'm going to save a couple hundred dollars. I'm going to get rid of the things that I just haven't done. I'm going to reevaluate X, Y, Z. And my reward is a now monthly sort of savings of X hundred dollars. I believe so many of us have an opportunity to do that. It just requires us to take the time to find those savings. Yes. All right. Final thought. And I'm going to build off what you said about the raise thing, because I've been hearing that a lot. You know, one of the signs of a healthy economy is when wages actually grow faster than inflation. And for the last two years, that has not been the case for us. Now that inflation is slowing down, you're going to see a lot of headlines, and I've already started to see them, about how American households are essentially getting a raise. Put that in air quotes. Because I just want to caution you not to put too much stake in that yet, right? Very rarely do you just get a raise without having to do anything on your own. I'm optimistic, but these things take time. And it's probably going to be a while before you start to feel less squeezed unless you are actively deciding to do something different. So we listed four different areas to look at today just to kick off your brainstorming. And I'm confident if you really apply pressure to those areas in your spending, there's going to be a pile of money waiting for you at the end. Yeah. Okay. My final thought, uh, and I'm going to pivot here a little bit, but at the time of recording this, we are in the middle of July. Uh, the S&P 500 is at 4,500 points. It's up from its most recent low at around 3,500 points in October 2022. So there's been about a 22% jump in those nine months. And there's almost been a 100% jump 
from the prior low in March 2020, right? So if in March 2020, you didn't sell and you were invested in, let's say, an S&P 500 index fund and you did nothing, you just held on to that in about two and a half years, which is where we are now, you would have likely basically doubled your money. I share that to say that in the environment that we're in, where there's tons of layoffs from big companies and a lot of people are so conditioned to solving for budget constraints by just focusing on income. It's all good. I'm going to get the big job or I'm interviewing now and sure one of them is going to land and I'm going to get this bonus and pay it off, blah, blah, blah. You can do that and you can make the tough decision to start doing little things to start trimming away a little bit of the waste. So that's really, really what this particular podcast episode is about. It's about encouraging us to look at the full equation of getting back to paying off debt or getting back to investing because there's a very real cost associated with that. If you're not able to invest during these times, we just talked about what the consequence, like you could have doubled your money, right? But if you're in a situation where you can't invest because you got wasteful subscriptions or you got all these little things that you're just sort of rolling along with because you think you're eventually going to out-earn them. Like this is really what's at cost here. So we're yes. hoping that you're paying attention to the details now. And there's no shame in that. There's actually power in doing that. So we're hoping you're paying attention to the details in addition to trying to grow your income because eventually the two working together is one of the most powerful things you can do to improve your financial life. Yes, I love that. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success. We've talked a lot about reflection today. And if you like this episode and want to reflect on how we've helped you, do it in front of an audience and leave us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. We will see y'all next week.